Welcome. This is an audio recording of the World Affairs Council of Dallas-Fort Worth. I'm Jim Falk, President of the Council. The Council is a non-profit membership organization dedicated to engaging the public in an exploration of global issues and foreign affairs, and we produce over 80 public events each year. To learn more about us or to become a member, visit dfwworld.org. This podcast is made possible through the generous support of Haynes & Boone, LLP. We hope you enjoy it. Uh, thank you, Bill, for that too long introduction. <laughs> I knew that the, uh, you'd get gobblers in there uh, because there's an Aggie thing that goes along with that. And, um, uh, you know, after every touchdown or something, there's this big gobbling that goes on by the, the ones from Texas A&M. Uh, it is uh, great to be here. Uh, thank you again for the kind introduction. Uh, we're seeing a lot of each other, Bill and I are, these days. Uh, which is typical, I think, of uh, what's going on in our two cities and what's going on in this region. Uh, I think you all have a great uh, chamber exec here, and uh, we are working together not only uh, regionally but also on a statewide basis. Bill uh, chairs the Metro 8 chambers, which are the big chambers, and each year we have a new uh, chair, and he's doing a superb job there working on things like Tier 1 universities, and uh, there's a November election uh, about Tier 1 universities that we're all going to be working for, working on water programs. He was actually over in Dallas yesterday working on some uh, concerns we have bubbling out of Washington, D.C. that have to do with water, uh, transportation issues that face all of us, on my drive over this morning, I met thousands of people from here driving that way. And I know when I go back, I'll meet thousands coming back from Dallas to work, that are working over here on another day. So uh, we really are uh, regional and uh, uh, need to be recognizing that, even though we are friendly competitors still, and we're becoming great collaborators as well, which we need to do. So um, thanks to the uh, Fort Worth Chamber uh, for having me back. I enjoyed the uh, annual meeting immensely. In fact, the speaker at your annual uh, meeting is quoted in the report uh, that we have today. His name is Florida, but that can't be real, can it? Uh, and uh, he's, a, he's a superb uh, uh, person when it comes to uh, regional planning. Y'all were great to have him as a speaker, I thought. Also want to... Uh, Say hello to the members of the board of the Fort Worth Chamber and uh, as well as uh, others from the Fort Worth Chamber. We have members of the Dallas uh, board uh, with us today that live in Fort Worth. I know Vince is here. There may be one other or so. Uh, so all of this, I think, speaks to uh, what's happening, planned or not planned, to uh, the relationship we have between our two cities and the growth of this region. There may be some public servants here. I know I saw Bob earlier. If he's not still, he was. And for any of you who are with city governments or county governments or the state government, uh, thank you for your service uh, to the public and to this region. Um, what, what you do uh, often isn't fully recognized by the public. I know there are moments when sometimes you don't want it recognized when things happen in the newspaper, but mostly it's positive, 
and uh, we really thank you for your service. And then, of course, the World Affairs Council. World Affairs Council in North Texas, the Fort Worth-Dallas World Affairs Council, has really come of age, and what a good time for it to come of age. Uh, initially, and this was only a short few years ago, it had about 300 members. And today, it has about 3,000 3, members in the North Texas area. A tremendous uh, credit goes to Jim Falk, who is here today, also a co-sponsor of this event, and the, uh, the staff of that group, and all of you all who are either on the board or who have been associated with uh, the World Affairs Council. How important that is in, time, in a time like today, where, where our entry into the global marketplace, which really began full bore when the airport was created, for those of you who uh, are as mature as I am, you'll remember when it was created, it was to be the regional airport. No one dreamed of what it would become, an international platform for this entire region to engage in global trade. So immense things have happened because of that airport that uh, now, I guess, has been operational for 35 years or so. Um, so with that, I just wanted to uh, say again, uh, good morning to you all and uh, turn to a study which the Dallas Chamber did at the behest of our Economist Council. If you would change slides, please. About two years ago, our Economist Council, uh, their names are posted for you, uh, sat down with uh, Lisa Jenkins, who was the head of our research effort at the Dallas Chamber. They asked uh, her to study something they believed to be missing, which was the place of DFW, not just Dallas, but this entire region in the global marketplace. No one had really taken a look at that. We have numbers that come out from commerce and from others about the size of trade, which is huge, but no one had taken time to take a look at where we were in the global marketplace. So Lissa and her team at the chamber, along with the Economist Council, uh, sat down and came up uh, with uh, a, uh, a study that would be done, which took a full two years to do. And this study was released this past April when a group called CoreNet, those of you in real estate know about CoreNet, these are the site locators, the domestic U.S. site locators for big companies and corporations that want to relocate plants and facilities around the country were in town for a convention. And at, at that meeting, we had good attendance from the people from Cornette and made sure that a copy of this study left when they went back to their home cities because we believe that the Dallas-Fort Worth area, DFW, is well positioned to take off uh, after this uh, recession recedes. Let's go to the next slide, please. The major findings of this study were the following, that modern DFW is the product of globalization. The timing, as I said, of the airport that came along about 30 or 35 years ago was a just-in-time arrival 
for things that were reshaping the world in terms of trade. And that is the ability of airports to move people and things, freight, around the world at great speeds. It also helped us identify the terms of the competition that we face for global economy, not between Dallas and Fort Worth, but between DFW and the rest of the world. And it used to be that those were identified by industrial sectors as opposed to taking a look at your regional assets, which made you a great place for uh, uh, global companies to land. DFW performs very well among the elite global metros of the world. We identified about 100 metros that we wanted to compare ourselves to and then trimmed that list to about 26 or so of large elite global metropolitan areas that were notable for their strengths and for certain challenges. Next slide, please. We've covered this part uh, largely saying that the current wave of globalization began in the 70s, about the time the airport was coming on, and continues to this day, although we know that given the world recession, that the high numbers that we've experienced are going to retreat some over the next year or two, but still the stage is set for a good regrowth. Next slide, please. Here is a modern DFW in our uh, comparison in terms of growth, and the growth number on the right-hand side is a little off of this slide. The, the takeaway from this is where we are in terms of our population um, today. The DFW area shows 4.7 million people on this study as of 05, although the real number we know to be 6.4 million people in this metropolitan area. The other takeaway from this and you see comparative sizes, New York at about 18.7. Uh, Chicago is not showing on this list, but it's around 10. The other takeaway from this is how fast we're growing. Six times faster, for instance, than New York and Los Angeles and Chicago. A growth factor of six times in this region. An incredible number. Next slide, please. Tom Friedman talks about um, the world being flat. In terms of communications, we know that's true. In terms of ability to travel, we know that to be largely true. But Professor Florida, uh, who was here at the uh, Fort Worth Chamber not long ago, said, well, yes, it's true that it is flat in certain respects, but not all. In fact, it's very spiky. And the spikes represent areas of economic influence, prominent areas around the world. We have a gross <coughs> domestic product here in the DFW area of about $300 billion a year. And when our numbers were done, we had about $50 billion of that in global trade. Next slide, please. What's the footprint of this area that emerged from the study? 
strengths were our logistics and trade. And I just met someone here who's just opened up an office from, speak up if you will. What's the, what's the company? It's called ASONIC, like Sonic Driving. And that's from where? Uh huh. Nine days ago. Welcome, welcome to the, welcome to the region. Logistics and trade are immensely important, as well as high-tech technology and all of its various parts, and then advanced services, which represent, for example, the uh, services that tend to large corporate headquarters. Law as an example, accounting as an example, communications and technologies that help the, uh, those corporations, all advanced services, and we, we show well in this area. Next slide, please. We have a great central location, and we're leveraged by fantastic transportation assets. Uh, the airport, uh, prominent among them. Another resident of Fort Worth, Alliance, uh, which I think still has to see its greatest growth in the years ahead. And over on the Dallas side, the intermodal hub that's being built in the southern part of the county that will provide two large rail hubs that will be uh, essential assets to the growth of the entire region. No, we don't have a river. Uh, we, we share a river, but we're, it's not navigable except by federal standards. <laughs> and we don't have a seaport like Houston does and a lot of the other competitors that you'll see in a moment. But the airports that we have, and with the room to grow, uh, will provide us with, uh, with great uh, access and our tremendous assets. Next slide, please. The technology sector, I won't go into the detail here, but it's broken into a variety of uh, sections. The takeaway from this slide is that the DFW area has more high tech in it than, for instance, the combined tech communities of Houston and Austin. So we are extremely well positioned with respect to high tech in this region. Uh, next slide, please. Here are the advanced services that I talked about, 25 Fortune 500, 6 Global 500s, 900 headquarters of all types, and then the services that they need to perform on a global basis, finance, insurance, real estate, and all of the other professional business services that I mentioned, law, accounting, and the like. Next slide, please. When we developed the model, we asked the staff to look carefully at the items that corporate chieftains were interested in when they made decisions to relocate. What is it that would attract an international company to this region? Talent, access, resources, what's the business climate, and what is the quality of life? And here, we won't define quality of life uh, like you and I usually do, you know, the arts and sports and how many hours there are in, a, in a daylight savings time and all of those things, but on the UN basis of livability, of health and safety and cost. Next slide, please. 
we benchmarked a number of metros and we chose those uh, not to be uh, selective in terms of how we fared in terms of our ranking but to try to get close to uh, comparisons that would be valuable for us to understand what we have here. Were we a global business center and were those other cities? And did they have national stature? Were they centers for advanced services? Did they have international airports, one or more? Were they immigrant hubs, which is very important? And were there connections here in the DFW region to those places? Next slide, please. Here are most of the ones, I think, that we selected out. And they range from Tokyo with a population of almost 36 million down to Amsterdam with a population of just over a million. DFW again using UF, uh, UN numbers comes out at about 4.8 we know that we're at 6.4 and I think a census report is due out in the next few days that will validate that number the others uh, also will change of course the US numbers but that shows you where we are in terms of uh, populations in fact we're the 16th largest uh, uh, region around the world in terms of economies in terms of a metro area so we're hugely important on that scale. Next slide, please. What are the indicators that went in to the uh, elements that we uh, previously discussed? Talent, for example, working age, higher education, all of those. I won't go through all of these. I think most of you will be able to see them. In terms of access, what are the destinations? Visiting with American Airlines uh, as the meeting was uh, starting about destinations. And they've made some... Uh, nice announcements, some good announcements, uh, adding, I think it was, uh, is it El Salvador uh, to the list uh, within the last few days? Number of passengers, gigantic here, uh, either number three or number four, uh, depending on the, uh, the month, I think. Uh, air cargo, uh, this uh, airport, the DFW airport, I think it handles something like 60% of all of the incoming international freight. Um, water cargo, not a high score. Railway, railways and roadways. Quality of life and what those indicators were. Resources and what is the business climate. And then after we identified all that, we could start to do some ratings. Next slide, please. How did we come out in comparison to the other cities that we identified? in business climate almost at the top of the list in quality of life and at, uh, at an eight position not bad access a ten not bad but room for improvement as well as in resources and talent the only one in which we placed below ten was talent and we're working on that now with the tier one university things that the Fort Worth Chamber and the Dallas Chamber and the others around the state uh, have engaged on. Our competitive index put us at about number 10 uh, compared to the other cities. Let's go to the next slide, please. <clears throat> Let's look at business climate. This is my favorite, not because we did so well, but because I think it's so important when business uh, men and women are deciding where they're, where they're gonna locate. 
How easy is it for you to do business in DFW? Well, as easy as Atlanta, and only we could find in our list of cities, only behind Singapore. That is an amazingly positive number on the business climate and one that we need to utilize strongly in all of our marketing activities. Next slide, please. What are some of those things that led to that high score? Where we place on office costs? What our costs of doing business are here? Our economic stability? And our business taxes, of course, all of those important elements on that indicator. Really, really uh, stunningly well compared to the others. Next slide, please. Quality of life. Uh, here we're in a tie at eight with Amsterdam. Don't ask me about their quality of life in Amsterdam. <laughs> I haven't been there for a long time. Chicago, of course, Hyde, DFW, and Houston. Uh, really, uh, and look at the ones above. Tokyo, Frankfurt, Toronto, Paris, London, Los Angeles, Melbourne. Uh, good company for us to be in. Next slide, please. These are the indicators. These were UN-based indicators, not uh, how many wonderful uh, theaters and arts uh, venues that we have uh, that we're uh, kind of going back and forth with these days, sharing each other's sports and arts and all of that. Next slide, please. This is the, uh, this is the access rating, and uh, I see that uh, we're... That's slightly off of the scale. Well, you see it at 10, which is uh, not bad. We're tied with Houston, with Chicago, and with Atlanta in terms of, uh, of access. And uh, what, what goes into that... We're going we're gonna to take this study and we're going to do other, other internal studies, take pieces of it that we don't quite understand uh, and explore those in more detail. And access will be one of those. What, it, what else do we need here that we do not have that we need to go and get? And uh, that's what the access uh, study will be about. Next slide, please. Here are, here are some of their, their indicators. Uh, destination cities, passengers, air cargo, water cargo. Notice the high score we get there uh, in the center. And uh, rail and road quality. Again, not, not, not bad numbers at all. Uh, next slide, please. Resources, and this one, is, this one is way off the charts. Dwayne is here who's taken over from Lissa. Do you know where we are? I'll put you on the spot. I think we're at 10. Yeah, I think we're at 10. Tied with on, that's probably Houston. <laughs> uh, in fact, we compare very favorably as a region uh, to, uh, to Houston. Very, very favorably. Let's go on to the next slide, please. Um, and here are the indicators that, uh, that take us. These, these are the benchmarks. Uh, for that uh, for that slide, headquarters, domestic cap. We have no stock uh, exchange here, so we don't score as as high. R and D is okay, and patents fine. Next slide that shows you the high tech uh, element we were talking about. And what about talent? The only one where we're actually below 
the mid-range, uh, and just, just an 11 and not a 10 with the others that are ahead of us. And a huge part of this has to do with um, uh, uh, research universities. How many are there? And there are zero in this area of North Texas where we have 6.4 million people without a large research university. The only other ones in Texas are UT Austin, Texas A&M, and Rice. And then there are some that are segmented out, for instance, UT Southwestern would probably rise high on the list, and a couple of others. But we do not have those research universities that spin off companies that grow and help support the region, and that's why they're terribly important to have. Next slide, please. Working age of the population, higher education, advanced services, technology, in this case, Nobel Prize winners, those are not the ones you hire on staff, but the ones that are homegrown. And that also is a very important element uh, in terms of talent. How, how are you doing? And uh, we're, doing, we're doing well there. Top 500 universities in the immigrant index. We have a large immigrant population, but it's mostly southern-oriented. Mexico and South. And so on the scale of uh, immigrant index compared to the rest of the cities in the world, they have a, a great mixture of immigrants in their communities uh, where we're mostly kind of southern based. Next slide, please. This is, the, uh, this is kind of the overall ranking uh, of, of where we came in. And look at the company that we are keeping. Tokyo, New York, Paris, Toronto, London. All of those you would think about. LA too. Frankfurt may be a surprise to some. Amsterdam, Chicago, DFW, and Houston. And the other numbers off to the right are just kind of a, a recapitulation of what we've been through. So next slide, please. That's the summary of what we found in this uh, global DFW study. Now, there are many more parts to it than we could possibly begin to cover this morning. Uh, I have with me uh, Dwayne Dankesrider, Oberwetter's first hire. Had to be a Dankesrider, of course. Uh, when Lissa left, Dwayne joined us from the North Texas Council of Governments. And it's good that we have him because he knows the details of every city and town in the region, kind of backwards and forwards, and will be uh, immensely uh, important to us in helping us understand the region globally and also on a domestic basis. But that is a, that is a quick look at this study that took two years to do. And what it says is that we are extremely well positioned if we begin to work on those areas that are challenging to us, that businessmen and women from around the world uh, are looking for, the area of talent areas, uh, and the area of access. We're not bad in this, but we need, to, uh, we need to develop those in a more significant way. Now, studies, you know, can be a dime a dozen. This one was more than a dime or a dozen. It's a lot. It really is. The question is, what do you do with a study like this? 
You know, do you just do uh, uh, speeches with it and go out and talk to people, or do you actually act on it? And the message that I would like to leave with you all today is that we need together as a region find ways to act on this study. We're really well positioned. That's what this showed us. We've never had a way to define it before, and we think we've taken some good initial steps, but there will be more to do. But we don't want to rest on our laurels just thinking that, you know, if you build it, they will come. Because there is a lot of competition in the world and a lot of competition in the USA for things like airline routes. And we need to be performing in order to attract uh, better access. And, uh, and we need to be working in that November election to ensure that we get tier one university status for uh, more than two or three universities in the entire state of Texas. Today, our vice president of economic development is in Belgium. Uh, he's not been a world traveler. This is actually Mike's first trip, I think, out of the country. He may have been to Mexico, I'm not sure. But he's been a domestic specialist in terms of recruiting into the region. And he's putting on his traveling shoes. Because today, the Cornet group that I told you were site locators that came to a convention in our region this summer have an international group. And he's taken this study and another member of the economic development team to Belgium to make sure that the international Cornet meeting that is going on at this time begins to get an understanding of the DFW area. And then next month, along with the mayor, off we go to China and to Korea and to some other places with copies of this study putting it into the hands of leaders of large corporations that may want to establish a U.S. headquarters here or plants and facilities in the region. So we're beginning our action steps uh, that in effect begin to implement at least portions of this study. And I know that we will be working with you, Bill, and with others in the region I noticed that the mayor of Garland was in Taiwan last night. And uh, here's someone from the Taiwan uh, Chamber of Commerce. Uh, so, you know, it's not just the large chambers that are involved in this. It's, it's regional chambers as well, smaller cities as well. So with that, well, let, me, uh, let me stop, Jim. I thank think you. I've given them the flavor of this study and, uh, and just say uh, thank you for your attention. And uh, boy, do we have a lot of work to do now. Thank you. You can repeat the question. Okay. Yes, ma'am. Um, by, by tier one universities, I'm assuming you mean these research institutions that you've talked about. And um, this area does need them, as you said. Uh, how, how's that going to happen, and what is the legislation you refer to? 
The, uh, there's a constitutional uh, amendment on the November ballot on November 3rd. Proposition 4. Proposition 4, thank you, Bill. That will uh, shift uh, f uh, from funds that have been set aside for educational activities from a fund that, as I understand it, has not been used. And the law that was passed by the legislature simply opens up that fund to be used by Tier 1 university applicants for research projects. It's not a large sum of money to begin with. It will grow over time. You saw in the papers just the other day that a first tranche of funding was made available by the state and that the seven universities that are interested in this, including UT Arlington, University of Texas Dallas, Texas Tech, and I'll, I'll leave somebody out here, North Texas, University, University of North Texas, and, uh, and some others around the state, uh, quickly were able to match those contributions, and in effect, that fund disappeared. So additional funds are now available from an already existing fund, uh, and the legislation will simply allow access to that fund by these Tier 1 universities. Is Tier 1 a national standard? It is. It is a national standard. And if you think of the schools that populate Boston and the Silicon Valley area, all exactly. Those, uh, uh, the Berkeleys, MITs, others, that is the direction that we, needed to be, that we need to be headed long term. And it's a long process. You don't snap your fingers about this. It will be decades long to grow these things, but you've got to get started, and I think we're on the way. A couple of cities I noticed notable, notable by absence, particularly in the, the talent area, would be uh, Austin in Texas and San Francisco in California. I wonder if you could address um, how they would fit on that scale. Uh, they would fit well in some areas, but not in all. I'll give you an example of Austin. <clears throat> you know, at the top of the list when it comes to talent, and very low when it comes to transportation, as an example. So we, couldn't, we didn't think that was a fair comparison, if you will. We went through, the economists went through and carefully divined, and it's not perfect, but carefully divined what are the cities that we should be comparing ourselves to. And some will be stars, like Austin would be on the talent side, but simply not have the infrastructure for transportation or, for example, well, the airport is a, is a perfect example of it. They, they don't begin to compare in terms of international flights. Yes, sir? What, uh, why is UT Southwest? Yeah, excuse me. We need it for our podcast. Thank oh, you. Oh, yeah, they're waiting for the why microphone. Is UT Southwest, uh, they're, Nobel they're, a, they're a specialized uh, institution that focused only on a single area. Well, it's not. I mean, health is gigantic, as we know, but in a specific area. So uh, in their own right they will uh, meet the test for, uh, for uh, similar health institutions. But that's why they're not on the list. Uh, yes, sir. How are you, Ray? Hi. Uh, up until last year, Germany was the world's largest exporter. German's own estimates are that the Marshall Plan was less important for that. When occupation forces, since 46 in Germany, we brought English in. And Germany was number one for diffusing English throughout the nation. Our largest top-ranking city is 32. Most above our top-ranking are Asian. What can the chamber do to use a huge Asian community in town to help 
infuse much more of Mandarin into our young population, K through PhD? Well, it's a, it's a great uh, question, Ray. Uh, I think we can begin to address that. We haven't we haven't um, focused specifically on what to do about languages, but that's a piece of the education puzzle uh, that we need to uh, work on. Um, when I was in Saudi Arabia, I was amazed at the number of young people that the Saudis had decided to send to Asian countries, to China and to Japan and to Korea a lot. Uh, so they're recognizing this change that has taken place in the gigantic markets of the East. And what can I say? We're crazy if we don't do it. So uh, we need to focus on that area. At the back of the room, there are two hands up. Just recently, I had a very fascinating conversation with a 28-year-old um, founding managing partner for an international corporation, just the kind of people that, that I think we want here. It was very fascinating because he um, confirmed that he's actually in the Phoenix area and he, he doesn't like it. And so I asked him, I said, well, what exactly is it that you're looking at in terms of, of relocating? And it was true, talent was his number one thing. His feeling, though, was in terms of relocating and finding talent, he needed a place where the talent wanted to be, which was um, a 24-hour kind of a, a city where they could gather, they could um, you know, gather at 3 o'clock in the morning. They work hard and they play hard. And uh, he was looking at San Francisco, Boston, got him looking at Dallas, Fort Worth area, um, but you know, that whole concept of a 24-hour city is what he's looking at. It's, uh, it's a critical mass that many, uh, many young people are looking for so they can be with people who are, are like them in the same fields. And uh, that's very important. Uh, we, we have a lot of people up at 3 o'clock here, but I'm not sure what all of them are doing. <laughs> uh, but you have put your finger on... Uh, on what happens when you begin to develop universities of the type we're talking about. Those will attract scientists and the associate professors and the students to them that begin to, to create a critical mass so that they all know the right Starbucks to go to. <laughs> Things like that. And it does matter. I think he's making a, a, great, uh, a great point. I really do. I can confirm one of, one of his other problems, he's by Arizona State University, which is becoming a research um, uh, university. He does not like to be around it because they have a lot of students that honestly are up partying at three in the morning, and that is not what these guys are doing. Oh, yeah. Okay. Thank you. A question in the very back of the room. And this will be our last question. Thank you for coming. I've got a question about, uh, you mentioned Saudi Arabia before, and, and we know, of course, that you ran an embassy there. and. I'm interested in how that experience is, has sort of shaped the way, the way being an ambassador, living abroad, has shaped the way that you approach the job that you're now in as the head of the regional chamber. Any experiences that come to mind that have kind of helped to shape you in that way? Well, I learned to flinch a lot. <laughs> I, think there, I, I think there are many, actually, um, that was, my, that was my only experience at the State Department. And what I took away from that was that there are great people 
that populate our agencies of government. I know sometimes we get upset with them because they don't see things our way. But when you're in a faraway place with a great group of highly educated people who are focused on carrying out the policy of your government, it's an absolute joy to be with them and to work with them. And you find that they have talents, of course, that you do not if you're a non-career ambassador, so you must rely on them. And you must do things like identify their strengths and their weaknesses, just like everybody in this room does with people that they work with that they supervise. And you carry away from that, I think, abilities back into a job like the job that, that Bill has and that, that I have of knowing how to maximize your resources and how to utilize the skill sets of the people that you have working for you. And I think that is one of the great lessons that I took away uh, from my experience in Saudi Arabia. And the other one related to the Saudis is that we know that we are in this fight together. And at the highest levels, at their governmental levels, they are working as diligently as we are on the terrorist problems. Their problems are our problems. And the former president who appointed me will probably never get the credit that he deserves for having worked with the Saudis to make sure that our agencies of government interacted as closely as possible with their agencies of government that had joined this fight against terrorism. And a former ambassador, not me, a former ambassador said that that working relationship now in the fight on terrorism between the U.S. and Saudi is probably the number one or the number two relationship that the U.S. has in the world. That's how close that relationship has come. And I became an admirer of the people with the Saudi government who worked long hours. My best meetings, I've told people before, were at 1 o'clock in the morning to say 4 because they work late night hours <coughs> on, their, on their plans to uh, combat terrorism. And, uh, and they, are, they are very good at it. When I arrived, there were all kinds of problems. By the time I left, they had greatly suppressed al-Qaeda in Saudi Arabia. It still exists. They tried to take out a very good friend of mine just the other day and uh, missed, thank God, or Allah. And uh, so they're still there. But they have done a phenomenal job. So I give them credit for doing the heavy lifting but I think there is a lot of credit that usually goes unstated about the role of the United States in the behind-the-scenes support of them. So thank you for that question, and thank you for your time and attention today. For more information about the World Affairs Council of Dallas-Fort Worth, visit them on the web at www.dfwworld.org.